Welcome to the Overthinking It TV recap, Downton Abbey, British Episode 6, American Episode 5. Ladies and gentlemen, we know who you are. You're classy people. You don't watch hawks and horses battle upon the gridiron. Nay, nay, <laughs> nay. <laughs> no. When your team is losing by 30 points, you do what a civilized person does, and you turn on Downton Abbey, and you watched it anyway. Oh, man. What was <laughs> the, uh, the most exotic Marigold Hotel was like counter-programmed against some enormous smash hit action movie, I recall, that everybody uh-huh. wanted to see. Uh, and I felt the same way about the Downton Abbey episode that aired on Sunday night opposite the Super Bowl. It's like basically, what do people who don't want to watch this fanciness, but people who don't want to watch the most powerful, the most uh, exciting mainstream entertainment that's going on, what do they want to watch? The answer is Dame Maggie Smith doing her thing and yep. being awesome. Yes, and we're here. And you know what? If it sounds like there's an extra spring in our step for this recap, that's because Downton Abbey has returned to form a little bit. I think. I mean, Matt, you think that's safe to say? Yeah, I think it is. Though there are some lingering traces of the old uh of the old um what doer and glum Bates and Anna subplot uh Bates actually kind of calls it out when he says um your husband is a brooder you know uh yes and, yes yes and Anna replies well brood about me and not about <laughs> what not about presumably about you know I don't know committing murder or something to avenge the to to avenge your wife's rape um but uh uh, but there is a scene at their their cottage when they go home after work uh, where they are like th- it's lit from a single gas lamp on the table. Uh, do, do you remember this? And it's just it's extraordinarily bleak uh, and there's no underscoring, no music. It's very and they're planning to go. They're planning to go out. I like their dinner. I want to talk about their dinner and their major that that major D uh, yeah. a little bit. Um but uh you know but it is it is a return to form and uh in in a a uh in an episode that where uh Edith is is pregnant and lady mary <gasps> spars verbally with a uh you know an upstart technocrat come to take her privilege away <laughs> and you know and uh lady rose is smooching the black band leader yes. um and and mary catches them uh, down in the servants' hall, it's it is fair to say that it is a uh, it's a return to form. Yes, and it is a return, of course, to Matt Rather, my my dear compatriot. Uh, I am Peter Fenzel, and we will be guiding you. Just this panel of two, just these two. I am to be brought to the toast first. <laughs> Well, we made a lot for everyone. We made buffalo barbecue toast in honor of the Super Bowl that we'll bring around to everyone. Oh, man. If only if only uh, Peyton Manning were successful finding his receivers, as Violet was in finding that knife in the Dowager Countess's drawing room, then perhaps things as, might have turned out as, as Michael Gregson's fertile sperm were in – oh, no, that's terrible. That's- <laughs> That's crap. Oh, is it going to be the the so it's going to be the Nazi adventures of Mama Edith right? in passing in passing between the goalposts? Uh, oh God, it just gets worse. I dig myself in farther and Look, farther. Look, if you have an elaborate metaphor to compare the Super Bowl with the latest episode of Downton Abbey, sound off in the comments. <laughs> but you know, someone who's not getting lucky is Jimmy uh, in the bench oh, out in the park right. outside the house. 
He's got um, Manning face after this one. I don't know. I, I thought that that in, in a way, kind of like with this sort of unwanted sexual advance, right? Did you not have kind of a queasy feeling of like, ooh, too soon? Oh, yeah. Oh, to- it was almost – it almost was like they were – not quite apologizing, but they were definitely <laughs> like drawing a parallel. Um, I, I can't help but thinking a little bit that that scene between – the Dowager Countess and Violet, where they're talking about, oh gosh, like how how exactly do they say? Well, just the, the whole idea of uh, aren't aren't you ashamed, right? Like like now that this idea that now that we've returned back, we've 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 come back from the brink of kind of firing all the servants uh, or all this other sorts of stuff. Like, aren't you ashamed with the way that you acted in this period when we weren't being civil to each other, hmm. right? When we were fighting, right? And it's like, well, no, I'm not ashamed. Like this is the way that I am. Uh, there, there's a way in which finding the knife and restoring the gardener, the Dowager Countess having already restored the gardener to his position, sort of feels similar to the way that the show is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, restoring its own its own sense of confidence and appropriateness uh, in the in the replotting of the Bates and romance. One of which is the echo that it has in the in the Jimmy Ivy situation, mm-hmm. right? It's like, um, it's, don't you think this is inappropriate? Why no? I feel that Jimmy has been dressed down adequately for his you know for his poor behavior, right? When clearly it's not that Jimmy should be dressed down for his poor behavior. It's that um, all of the rapists in Downton Abbey and not, Jimmy's not a rapist, Jimmy. Jimmy just tries to kiss her, and he just propositions her, and then he tries to put some pressure on her, and she says no, and he stops. Well, right? Yeah, or he, yeah, he starts to like, he actually starts to like lift up her skirt, is is what oh, you see, as though he's yeah. gonna feel her up, right? And like, and this is, I mean, you know, under, under the skirt, as though he's gonna go to third. Um, if if in American baseball, I don't know what the equivalent cricket metaphor is, uh, but the um, whatever it is, Peyton Manning didn't get there last <laughs> night, the <Denver> <laughs> <laughs> either during or after the game yeah yes. uh the um uh god it's just uh, this is terrible tonight i'm i'm on a i'm on a roll i'm taking i'm taking us into the modern age pete i'll make <laughs> i'll make a modern of you yet with my with my crass jokes uh no, it's it's that he you know he he wants to go farther and uh, he wants to go farther and she she doesn't and and almost I mean that that works almost the way it's supposed to I suppose like really well adjusted people um, can ask like may I put my hand under your skirt now Why yes my friend you may yeah. but who is that well adjusted honestly even in our you know even in our day and age so that that like that interaction goes between them as well as well as it is going to go between a uh, between in a man and a, a man and a woman I think which is that you know he tries a little something she says no and he stops right yes exactly uh, and then <laughs> but after afterwards all, the bad part is almost kind of more discursive afterwards where he he accuses her of not playing the game right yeah and that's and that that does sort of fit in with the theme of of one of the themes of downton abbey which is that that there is sort of a set of unspoken rules that you're kind of born to right and that that you you either know them or you you don't right you're either kind of in the in group where you know the the rules or else you are hopelessly gauche and you are you know you'll never be in our class and and something like that and that the uh um, and um 
Jimmy's claim is that sort of Ivy doesn't know the rules, right? And he, Jimmy's claim, right, as though he would put it in this sort of elevated terms. But his his sort of uh, his idea of the discourse is that no, 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 you, you've entered into a discourse which has certain parameters, and this is to a certain extent confirmed, right, by uh, Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore uh, after Ivy says, "Well, he seems so he seems so sweet," uh, and Mrs. Patmore says, "I, I wonder how many women." Have said that since the Norman conquest. <laughs> that was such a great line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, I, I mean, uh, for I, those of you who don't know, the Norman conquest <laughs> was when the Seattle Seahawks uh, <laughs> came to England in 1066. Never mind. And Peyton Manning, the elder, was incapable of preventing them from taking over uh, Great Britain. But no, 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 never mind. No, the Norman conquest was when Mrs. Patmore's late husband, Norman, first, <laughs> <laughs> first propositioned her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was only too happy. No, that's that's terrible. I shouldn't. God, down yeah. the rabbit but, hole. But, 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 okay, so, but this is interesting, because I do think that maybe what we found is the situation between Jimmy and Ivy is the nexus of a lot of things that are happening on Downton Abbey, because it's sort of similar in certain ways to what's happening between Anna and Bates. It's sort of simple and similar in other ways to what's happening between uh, Edith and, and her Nazi boyfriend or what have you, uh, because it's sort of like, oh, it's a mixed communication. It's a relationship that should or shouldn't happen. And Daisy feels really jilted because he's not, you know, Alfred's not around and it's somebody's fault. Like there's thematic similarities, but it's also very similar uh, to the relationship between Mary and the government inspector, right? Where, where she is sort of, uh, you know, confused and offended and, and kind of belittles him for not displaying the courtesy that would be appropriate uh, when you're a guest in somebody's home, right? Particularly the home of a, of a noble family, right? Like an ele- a family of elevated station of such esteem as the Crawleys who've deigned to, uh, to permit you entrance into their home, especially, you know, under the... Like a common boarding house. <laughs> Don't you know how to play the game? Yeah, right? Like, right. <laughs> right. Um, and so... more aggressive, less delicate uh, way of looking at contemporary problems that is running alongside the way that the downtown problems, right? There's the, there's the really traumatic dealing with the, the, mar- the rape within the marriage, and then there's also the sort of like, you know, Jimmy trying to sneak his hand up the skirt, right? And then there's like the, um, the guy who's like, oh, you know, we need to know whether you're obsolete and whether, you know, everybody in London is going to starve during the next inevitable great war, right? <laughs> Versus like, well, you could just show us a little courtesy. Uh, we'll did the, come down when the gong rings for dinner, right? Like, uh, is the... Uh, is but the, we, uh, yes, no, we won't expect you to be witty, yeah, there it is. I couldn't remember any of the great lines that she said, but I think she has had a couple of good ones. No, we won't expect you to be. We will, we will lower our expectations. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the part of the cult of Britishness, which I think is one of the things that makes Downton Abbey successful in the United States, uh, is because is it sort of embodies a lot of like the cult of Anglophilia, which is this idea of maintaining uh, decorum and charm and wit and seriousness and getting dressed up and standing in lines and all these other kind of, you know, really disciplined sorts of behaviors uh, that have an elevated nature, even when really terrible things are happening. Right, like it's like even when you know the the wife is locked in the attic, uh, you know, and you're like living with you know, even then you still have like the the afternoon in the moors with Mister Rochester still happens, right? Like even when there's like crazy people and houses are burning down and all that other stuff, um, there's still I don't know. It, it, you're more of an Anglophile than I am, but do you do you see what I'm talking about with that corn, sort of juxtaposition? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to the Matthew Crawley, you know, beautiful car crash. And also just like the way the World War I shots were choreographed and like the mise-en-scene, right, of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of Matthew Crawley running through the trenches, which is just like the most budget World War I TV depiction I've ever seen in my life. Sure. Or like, yeah. But anyway, um, in this, there's like, there's something really, ch- there's something both objectionable and charming to the way that these people address serious problems in that in a way that doesn't seem serious that doesn't seem like aghast or adequately outraged right like um like the knife like the how the dowager countess has already given the gardener his job back right right and and is is the dowager countess's true crime in this situation the injustice or the sort of like lack of outrage at the unfairness like the sort of lack of kind of you know the lack of zeal for the revolution like is that the problem right or is the problem that it's really unfair that this gardener lost his job for not stealing the knife like that mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah, yeah yeah without yeah without due process or or really frankly any any evidence i mean he lost yeah. his, <laughs> you know based on yeah. based on prejudice yeah, exactly, exactly. Definitely. You know, well, it was stolen, and you know, no one else of the uh, no one else of the stealing class is around. Well, yeah, I mean, like I've certainly seen many movies where the event at the very end of the mo- of the episode, where Mary sees Rose smooching the band leader, right. I've certainly seen many movies where that leads to like a beating or a huge humiliation or like the guy gets killed, right? Or just like – or the reaction to it has to be like sort of saintly, right? There has to be some sort of um, – there has to be – I don't want to say falseness because it's all false. Like none of this is real. It's a fiction that's done on television. But even particularly, it's not really aspiring to any sort of verisimilitude to reality. But just that it – you have to make it so theatrically distant from – you have to make it just so theatrically urgent. You just have to make the stakes so immediately and supremely high, and they have to provoke a, a high state of agitation. It's you know being upset about it is part of the justice, is part of the rightness, right? The the that sort of and the idea that Mary just is sort of very calm about the situation, hmm. even though you know that something that has changed that can't change back. You know, Mary is certainly calm, even when when Robert sees the band leader and says like, oh, you know, it'll be fun. You know, <laughs> we'll do this, right? I'm going to dance this music, even though he's like. Like clearly very offended uh, in his racitude, in his race, racistness of his privilege, and he, he, you know, he checked his privilege with his tails, and he's wearing one of those ghastly tuxedos. He's <laughs> running again. He's running to the coat check to get his privilege back. Yeah, uh, but I guess just juxtapose against last week. One of the things I like about Downton Abbey is that it does maintain that sort of charm and grace when, when in its good points, when it is kind of retconning our idea of what a television manner can be like. Though, with like I, I, more, I mean, more regressive politics. I wanna. I. I, I want want to ask did you really think that that he was offended i mean i thought that one of the things that the the show was doing uh whether or not it's it's sort of totally fair um one of the things that it's doing is sort of highlighting how sort of intrinsically good-hearted uh the characters are by how they actually are almost immediately accepting of um almost immediately accepting of, of Mr. Jack Ross. And, 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 you know, in the end when, uh, when, um, Robert and, and Cora are going to bed, uh, Robert says, even Carson thought he was a, uh, even Carson thought he was a decent fellow. We might make a modern of him yet. 
know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So that, so that, that the thing, I, I mean, it struck me that one of the things that, uh, one of the things it's actually Edith, who is the one who, who, who really, uh, explicitly raises the question, is this really appropriate to be happening in Downton? What with the black guy and all. And, uh, and, you know, our, our good old friend, the Dowager Countess, who says, uh, you know, we country dwellers must take care not to become provincial. You, you must let your time in London rub off on you. So mm-hmm. it, it, it strikes me that there's a certain amount of insecurity in that, right? As certain as you are that, you know, um, things are the way they are for good reason. You know, you, you deserve your privilege, right? Like uh, uh, it is as it has been, as it is, as it ever shall be world without end. Um, there is this insecurity in terms of like, you know, there still is someone farther up the ladder, right? There still is London. There still are uh, more sophisticated uh, people than we. And um, and we have to, you know, play their game, right? We have to sort of learn the rules because there is, there is some kind of inst- – there is a certain amount of instability uh, in the rules. And, and, like, it would be bad – you know, as bad as it is to be improper, it's also bad to be provincial, yeah, that's sort of that's that's a been a greater that's been more important this season than in past seasons because there's more London, honestly. Yeah, this season and that's I a, mean that's a budget yeah. thing, I think. Well, I also didn't necessarily. I remember thinking in previous seasons that I didn't really know where Downton Abbey was. Uh, right sure. now, yeah, and and now of course it's been mentioned many times this season that it's in Yorkshire, which is of course like not just London; it's like the least London place that is in England, right? Like. Pretty much, or am I missing my guess? You're again more of the Anglophile than I am. Um, but yeah, York up, is- I mean, it's up in it's up in the north, and I I have a feeling that if we were, uh, I have a feeling that if we were um, British, we would have been able to identify it as York. I, I you know what I mean? I, though it wasn't oh, called yeah. out specifically by name, I think it was clear uh, because I recall some people like reading about it and doing like explainer type articles for, for us Americans who don't understand anything, um, uh, that, that, you know, the Northern accents and, um, uh, and certain like geographical references that, that gave it away to being York. Yeah, I mean, in, Amer- in American culture, in American imitations of British culture, the Yorkshire accent is often the sort of interchangeable lower class accent, right? When it, when it's not Cockney, when you're not talking about like 20th century stuff, and you're looking at 19th century stuff. I'm I'm thinking in particular about like the Secret Garden, huh. right? Which is like you know introduces the Yorkshire maid, and which is you know a, a part that's played by so many children and kind of indoctrinates them and in how you know how silly serving class British people talk, right? Like um, and that sort of wonderful it's it's like right up there with holding onto your back and leaning over 45 degrees in terms of like you know loving but futile attempts to approximate other people right like uh is is the uh, theatrical yorkshire accent uh but yeah but it's been a bigger it's london is bigger big, a bigger presence you're right the, the budget is a big factor but also you get the sense that england is more connected now than it's been previously because of the technological changes that have happened uh you can take a train to the a car to the train which feels like a pretty big deal um, I mean, now there are telephones. There were not telephones previously. News travels faster. Uh, have we had like big radio listening scenes yet? Like not generally, as far as I remember. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, yeah, we're all gathered around the wireless. I guess, I guess maybe during the war there had been something yeah. like that. Though even yeah, that yeah. may even have been more uh, in the Second World War, where it was like you know you you listened to hear what was bombed today, 
right? Yes. Like you gather around the evenings and like, yeah. uh, if, if you don't have a great house, you know, a, adults gather in like a pub or something or in a, you know, a business somewhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like we've all been familiar with what we've assumed is going to be the major macro antagonist of Downton Abbey, which is the march of progress making the aristocracy irrelevant, right? And and making making the landed aristocracy in particular sure. irrelevant. And the idea that Downton Abbey by the end of the show will no longer be serving the purpose that it's serving at the beginning of the show. Honestly, one uh, of the reasons that Ryan and I liked Gossip Girl so much, right? Uh, and the sort of neo-aristocratic politics of, of Gossip Girl and why we found so much to talk about it is, is because it had to do with this question of, like, what – how do you structure your society? Like, who do you admire once the old assumptions have been kind of evacuated from your, you know, from your value system? Um, and that's – that. I mean, and that's a question that kind of hangs over this, uh, you know, that hangs over every moment of Downton Abbey, I think uh, – because I think the show is is actually always kind of making the case that they are um, that they are admirable people, you know, in their own right, right? You know, certainly more so than Barrow, right? Yeah. Certainly, <laughs> certainly more so than uh, you know that scheming lady's maid, though. Though she does seem to be having pangs of conscience. Baxter. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Let's we can talk about that. I mean, just to finish that one thought, it's just it's it's before we move on, but it's interesting to see geography come up as a foil for for the ruling class of Downton because it seems totally out of left field in terms of the educational social narrative that many of us watching it would expect the show to follow, where it's all the same basic stuff. There's going to be industrialization. There's going to be civil rights eventually. Rights for women are going to be an issue. There's going to be the war. There's going to be technology. There's going to be cars. There's going to be machine guns. Like, there's going to be all these things, right? And there's going to be, you know, reformers, and, and there's going to be elections. But it's, there's not the thought of, oh, and by the way, you're going to realize that you live in the sticks. That's kind of not part of what you learn in that, like, last four-week period of high school history that it tells you is responsible for everything that's happening in life now, right? It's not part of the sort of uh, the litany of social causes, but um, but it's, yeah, to, to jump to jump to that to that other um, the other factor, the Baxter Thomas plotline. This is similar to the the reconciliation of the knife. I mean, in a lot of ways, this episode was re- was responsible for saying, you know, all that stuff we said last episode, we're just not going to do it. <laughs> you know how we set up everything to be like this horrible foreboding thing, and the last couple episodes is like all these terrible things are going to happen, but they're not going to happen now. This episode, we're just going to start a bunch of new stuff, and it's going to be the kind of stuff you're comfortable with, and it's going to be okay. Like uh, so, Baxter and Thomas's relationship baxter the new o'brien right like yeah. i mean that's that's a that's as much of a place to start as any in, in unpacking what i think is a pretty complicated set of scenes um both synchronically and diachronically both in terms of their significance for current watchers of downton abbey watching downton abbey now and in terms of its relationship with past downton abbey episodes of which it is an, an echo or you know or, or anti-type or what have you right because there's a degree to which thomas more than he wants revenge, 
more than he wants status, more than he wants to have things over on people, he wants O'Brien back. He wants his confidant. I mean, that's that's one of the things I took away from it. I mean, did you see it that way at all for this episode? Sure. I mean, it's I don't know if if in his mind Baxter is kind of an improved O'Brien because he feels like he has her in in his power, you know. And it's it's like the the he says something in this episode that's like you knew the terms when you came here, so like he's got something on her, you know. And mm-hmm. and you'll recall that after. Um, you know, after uh, you know, Sleazy McDewittstein left. Uh, <laughs> Who's Sleazy McDewittstein? She's that... the you know, I the 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 oh the maid who the who whoring was... the maid. Excuse me, sir. The whoring trollop <laughs> who seduced our poor Branson. Yes, uh, yes, right. Um, and uh, she, of, she of the alien autopsy cheekbones, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> she, right. Yeah, she gave him a probe. Uh, <laughs> or, never mind. God, I'm really taking us right to the bottom tonight, huh? The, Just like uh, Manning in the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Just, uh, just like Michael Gregson's virile sperm. The, um, uh, but thank, thank God, Tom's were not as, uh, uh, were not as virile, or that she, you know, I don't know, did some sort of uh, homeopathic, don't get pregnant. Uh, she was taking thing. moon tea, right? She yeah. was uh, <laughs> Master Meister Purcell was giving her moon tea, right? Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, so uh, after she left, uh, remember that that um, Thomas suggested this maid. So like he wanted someone, he wanted to put someone in the royal bedroom, uh, who who he had, you know, who he had in his power. But I think I think it's interesting that I and I think you're you're probably right when you identify kind of a strain of loneliness in in his position right like and now and and you know recall he was out right he he had left and uh or he was oh i forget exactly the series of machinations at the end of season three and um uh mr bates got him his job back Right. Yeah. And uh, and so, uh, you know, there he is, but but not reformed in the slightest. He you know, he's gone back to his old ways. And by the way, like O'Brien would still be here had she not left the show. You know, right. Uh, she's, right. She, this is another sort of plot twist that's necessitated by the, you know, by the behind the scenes, you know, actors deciding whether or not they want to continue for whatever variety of reasons they may they may have for wanting to do that. Um so the so right so uh he he wants that he wants it's it's kind of unclear what he wants like what what manner of advantage does he think he's going to sort of wangle from you know knowing information yes i suppose that you know changes are coming and people could get laid off and it would be good to know you know at how to make yourself indispensable in right in a situation such as that right i guess mm-hmm. um Beyond that, you know, I don't know really. Like, uh, if there's if there's much upside to him in all of this, yeah. in all of this scheming, does, does he think there's gold buried somewhere? <laughs> <that he needs> to- <laughs> 
you understand one of the paintings here in Downton has a map on the back of it, and we need to find out which one it is. But yeah, no, I, I get the sense uh, maybe it's the show yearning to have O'Brien back so that they could have Thomas and O'Brien do something. Maybe it's you yearning to have O'Brien back because yeah. it would be a lot more interesting yeah. to have her, wouldn't it? They were a real she pair. Was still, were... If she was still killing babies in utero by leaving soap on the bathroom floor, right? Like, that, if we could only return to the lighthearted days of of you know abortion by proxy uh, good lord good lord <laughs> i feel like thomas has become a vegeta figure in, in Townsend abbey i'm gonna make i'm gonna make this episode of the, the overthinking tv recap uh crossover to the smallest possible combined venn diagram ever <laughs> by including seattle seahawks fans people who like dragon ball z people who watch downton abbey uh and also people who uh watched the most exotic Marigold Hotel opening weekend, which is not a large number of people. But no, but... Uh, but if you, know, you, are, dra- if you yeah. are at the intersection of all of those sets, uh, we would love to talk to you about having a full-time gig writing on this site. <laughs> well, basically, right, in, in, in Dragon Ball Z, you know, Vegeta is defeated and then becomes somewhat subdued, and then they kind of, like, face a common enemy, and they team up, and, and everything's kind of fine, but this doesn't mean Vegeta stops having, like, an attitude problem, right? And he's like, you always kind of wonder when he's going to cause some more nonsense and he's always complaining or like he's always looking saying he's stronger and he could win the fight if it were to happen and of course it's like all fun and games then until he you know kills himself in a giant ball of explosive energy i don't think thomas is going to do that uh but that's like where vegeta's frustration originally leads when he's like uh oh man you know like i can't i don't have a rival anymore like my rival became the bigger man and that is a huge problem for me because i don't particularly and i think this is a problem that thomas has is that like mr bates became the bigger man and thomas kind of conceded that and like acceded to it and while i would agree that he hasn't necessarily reformed the urgency of it and the nastiness of it does seem somewhat either diminished if not in its uh virality then certainly in its urgency like it's like maybe he's not quite maybe he's still mean but he doesn't really seem to be doing it for any particular reason um, I guess he's looking for a reason that he'll jump on it. I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, again, you've seen the whole season. I have not. So we'll see what happens when Thomas finds out like the, the whole story. I hope that Thomas – don't tell me, but I hope that Thomas hunts, like, kills the valet like, himself and like saying, like, I have to pay you back for that thing that you did for me. And he just like takes out a, a piece of piano wire and just like chokes that valet. He invites the valet to a Turkish bath to try to out him. And then, in the Tur- and then they have like an Eastern Promises kind of scene. No, it's a Russian bathhouse, and it's like an Eastern Promises scene where they just beat him to death. A great – yeah, a great naked man <laughs> fight. So you can see uh, people who've seen Eastern Promises to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eastern Promises to the Venn diagram of this Downton Abbey episode. Yeah. Uh, I know that I saw other recaps were comparing this episode to an 80s movie, right? And, and, um, and I'm not sure exactly how, but just sort of like a romantic comedy about the 80s where there's like somebody who's pushing somebody into it. And then Daisy is the girl who like wanted to get with the guy but didn't. And now she feels bad about it and all the other nonsense. Um, so there's a, there seems to be an intersection of a number of genres in this particular Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Theater. I mean, I don't know. Uh, you want to talk about Edith being pregnant by the the guy who's disappeared in in Germany? Oh yeah, of course, definitely. What's your take on that? Other than just how incredibly sexy it must have been for that to happen, because Edith is just the, I mean, 
I, I read a uh, I read an article on the New York Times website today about how Lady Edith is the new sex symbol of Downton Abbey, right? <laughs> and like, the Times is on it. <laughs> Jesus. We were saying so, that weeks ago. So the New York Times staff was was not watching the Super Bowl, but was watching Downton Abbey. No, they watched it when the British show came out, and they're only now posting the article they've been thinking about for six months. To, uh, ah. to but yeah, they're saying Lady Edith is the new sex symbol. Well, that that she's being dressed a lot. She's being dressed mm-hmm. a lot sexier. And I mean, I guess this the slant of the article was that that uh, development on the show is sort of redounding to the benefit of the actress who is getting dressed by you know more and more notable fashion designers this awards season or something like oh. that. I think that was the news peg to. Uh, to to make it contemporary, but yes, her uh, her um, married lover is mm-hmm. in is in Weimar Germany, mm-hmm. having knocked her up. We now we now know uh, she's uh, quiet. She's uh, crying about it and and pretending she's just mad about his. She's just uh, upset about his disappearance. And I you know I I don't know. I guess we haven't heard a lot about. Um, I guess we haven't heard a lot about the situation or how it's going to develop. But if you see the scenes from next week, it's uh, it's you know going to come to a head. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to come to a head in uh, next week. I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we should we shouldn't joke because this is the kind of thing where it's like like poor Jack Gleason from Game of Thrones is not actually a terrible person, right? Or like people who think that the actress who plays Peggy Olsen is unattractive because the character of Peggy Olsen is like abrasive and anti-sexual in a lot of respects because of her experience with you know having an abortion and all that other stuff. But like, no, like the actress who plays Edith is very pretty, and like you know, I know that's not the be all end all of what it takes to be a good human being in this world and but at the same time like you know let's give credit where credit is due and i've always thought that that the show is kind of a little i mean every show is a little laughable like this but this show is especially laughable among shows where it's like the person who is marginally least perfect looking is like the person who's just abhorrent oh yeah absolutely like (laughs) right tv ugly is is really freaking beautiful right yeah exactly because also not only is everybody dressed up for tv but everybody is just dressed to the nines in all of these really super fancy formal outfits um and so but yeah but laura carmichael you know what that's great i'm glad that she's getting dressed by better designers i hope that's what she wants and i hope that it makes her happy and then she gets other great roles because she was in a bunch of she was in tinker Tailor soldier spy she was in this she was in uh, she's that's pretty much all she's been in but uh then she, <laughs> i'm sure she's been in other stuff but yeah um anyway I don't know. I, I I think you know what I'm going to call it right now. Laura Carmichael is going to become the Tilda Swinton of her generation. Oh wow! <laughs> Not in the sense of being a compelling actress who like an an art installation person who does a bunch of like challenging stuff, but in the sense that she's going to like be in the Narnia movies. But in uh, 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 yeah, and also <laughs> in the sense of like uh, living in a modern direct uh, domestic relationship with her uh, with a lover half her age in the same house well, no, as her I- husband and children. <laughs> No, no, I mean, I mean more like being in Constantine. I just mean like, like she should be in a lot of of PG thirteen action movies as like a a, uh, a a female character with supernatural powers. <laughs> That's what she should do for a living. Uh, I would watch it, La- Lady Edith the Sorceress. Um, 
So if we missed anything else in this episode, we're all a little bit giddy and a little bit tired. It's been a heavy duty week for overthinking it. Yeah, we're uh, we're a day late on this one because of the because of the Super Bowl yesterday. Uh, that's Amer- our- that's that's American football, not you know European football or or global football. <laughs> global ball, as which, it were, which we know as soccer. Yes, uh, it- so so called because the ball is the shape of the globe. <laughs> Wait, what? Really? Is that why it's called soccer? Uh, yes. No, not at all. Not even. even Well, if, if you know why it's called soccer, if you are looking forward to when soccer is going to finally make its debut on Downton, if you are British and actually can tell us the, uh, the British analogs for, uh, going to first base, second base, third base (laughs) and all the way, um, whether they have to do with, with cricket or European football or, you know, I don't know, rugby or something like that. Or like um, crown possessions. Like you have to go to Wales, Scotland, Ireland, and the Isle of Man. <laughs> <laughs> but if you know any of these things and want to share them with us, we're always glad for everyone to come by and join the conversation. Uh, leave notes in the show notes. Please subscribe to the TV Recap podcast here. We've got this going. We've got community going. We've got just a spare couple months till we get Game of Thrones back, and then Mad Men will come back. You'll get them all in this feed. You can skip the ones you're not watching. We'll always be very clear about which one it is. But we're psyched to have you on board, and we're psyched that Downton Abbey is back. So from here on out, all that remains is to invite you to visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. 